Welcome to the Captain Paul Watson Foundation podcast. I'm your host, Charlie. Today, we're going to be speaking with Paul uh, in regards to the COP conference. Uh, COP stands for Conference of the Parties. It is part of the United Nations uh, Climate Change Conferences, and there have been many of them uh, going back to the 90s. And Paul recently wrote a newsletter uh, about the upcoming conference, which is sponsored by Coca-Cola. So wanted to start off, Paul, um, talking to you about the recent newsletter that you sent out in regards to the Coca-Cola conference. So with with Coca-Cola being the sponsor, I mean, you largely see this conference as a waste of everyone's time. Well, you know, since I attended the uh, COP21 conference in uh, Paris, uh, you know, I haven't really seen any anything positive coming out of these COP uh, meetings. You know, in COP21 in Paris, I... It was just a fiasco. Uh, a lot of promises made, none carried out. Um, I was speaking at the Ocean Forum and uh, found out that one of the sponsors there was like the fishing industry. And uh, so uh, what I had to say wasn't very, uh, wasn't very well received because <laughs> I was pointing out that one of the problems is that uh, industrialized fishing is causing uh, uh, ecological collapse and that uh, climate is regulated and controlled by, primarily by the ocean. So if we need to save the ocean, then we got to address the problems. And one of those problems is industrialized fishing. Right, right. And you mentioned, too, that, you know, this is sort of a greenwashing tactic where, you know, some of the world's greatest polluters are the ones sponsoring these conferences. Well, you can buy anything, really, with money. I mean, I spoke in 2015 also at the uh, UN conference on, on oceans in June uh, that year. And uh, the next year, I was told I wasn't welcome back, and I could never speak again to the UN because one of the founders, funders, was uh, the Nippon Foundation, a Japanese government corporation, and uh, they didn't like what I had to say. So the people who are causing the problems get to dic- dictate who participates in these uh, in the solutions. Wow. Yeah. And so, Paul, the other thing that I wanted to to speak to you about today was um, your book. Uh, urgent save our oceans to survive climate change so um you know went through the book and you know absolutely loved reading it i would highly recommend it to to all of our listeners out there if you haven't uh read this book yet by paul please do check it out um, on our website so paul in chapter one you talk about biocentrism and i wanted you to maybe explain that to our audience uh in more detail we need to uh, have a new uh, vision of what kind of world we're living in. For about thousands of years, we've uh, developed this anthropocentric point of view, uh, this idea that it's all about us, that we're the only species that matter, that uh, some god in our image created everything just for us, uh, ignore the fact that it was four billion years before us. But uh, that has shaped the way we see everything. And therefore, we're living in a world in disharmony with all other species, and not recognizing the input, the positive input those species have. In fact, we wouldn't be able to survive without them. Uh, A few years ago, Brett Hume from the Fox Network called me up and said, did you say that worms, trees, and bees were more important than people? And I said, yeah, I I said that. And he said, how could you say something so outrageous as that? And I said, well, uh, for the simple reason, it's true that they're more important than people because they can live here without us. But we can't live here without them. If we're going to survive into the future, we have to learn in 
to live in harmony with all of these other species. Since 1970, we've lost we've lost 70% of uh, the wildlife on this planet. Uh, so we're really literally destroying uh, the life support system for the planet that we live on. And probably the most uh, glaring example is that since 1950, there's been a 40% diminishment in, in phytoplankton populations in the sea. And phytoplankton provides 70% of the oxygen in the air we breathe and and uh, sequesters enormous amounts of CO2. So if phytoplankton disappears from the sea, we all die. That's a simple fact. We cannot live on this planet without phytoplankton. And for the most part, people are completely unaware of it and don't really care, but that's what's happening. Yeah, and it kind of ties into, um, you mentioned this in your newsletter and also in your book, uh, this extinction rebellion idea of, of saving ourselves from ourselves. Well, the movement's Extinction Rebellion uh, is, uh, you know, really uh, a response to the fact that these COP21 conferences or all COP conferences are nobody's, uh, they're not having any effect. It's all like, as Greta Thunberg said, blah, 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 blah. Nothing, they're all talking and nothing ever gets done. And so that's why they're taking the radical actions that they are to try to get people aware of what's going on. It's, it's a difficult task because... Um, for the most part, uh, we're so entrenched with this anthropocentric mindset that we we really just don't see the damage uh, that we're causing and all the consequences of our actions. So my my favorite chapter, Paul, uh, in your book is chapter seven, and you talk about being prepared for what's coming. Uh, you mentioned the the three laws of ecology: the law of diversity, the law of inter- interdependence, and the law of finite resources. And you mentioned that we're, we're stealing the carrying capacity of the planet from other species here. Um, what, what can we do to, to stop stealing this carrying capacity? Well, we have to stop uh, destroying other species and the ecosystems that uh, support those uh, species. Uh, because uh, when you destroy that carrying capacity of other species, that uh, contributes to the diminishment of both diversity and interdependence, which leads to ecological collapse. There's, there's a limit to growth, and uh, we're taking much more than we need, and uh, basically we're a greedy species. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So that's what we need to, uh, need to address. Right. Uh, you know, I, and Paul, I'm going to quote something from your book that I, I really enjoyed. Um, you say, peace and security can be found through nature, and by understanding that all species are interconnected, we are part of the whole not separate and dominant over it. And I think that speaks to what you said about, you know, having a different mentality about how, how we are a part of this planet, really. Yeah, absolutely. We have to, uh, we have to accept that uh, all of these other species are fellow travelers on Spaceship Earth, and we have to learn to work with them and live with them and certainly uh, protect their, uh, their well-being. Uh, so really, it all comes down to... Uh, humanity is at war with itself, and we really have to uh, address our follies in order to uh, guarantee our own preservation. Yeah, and so in that chapter two, you, you say a few things at the end um, about children. One, you say that children need to be taught very little, and then you also comment on your own son, and you mention you know, that you've been allowing him to discover nature on his own. What, what has that been like, uh, watching, watching your son interact with nature and discover it? Well, I think it's important not to uh, like, uh, dictate to children what they should learn and really just you know, answer their questions. 
and because uh, they're naturally curious, and so they a- ask the questions, try and give them the answer, and try or try to guide them in ways to find uh, the answers. And uh, because children have incredible imaginations, they also have a lot of uh, insight and intuition, and and we really need to encourage insight, intuition, and their imagination rather than dictate to them what they should learn and how they should learn it. Yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned that Antarctica is one of your favorite places. Why is that? It's one of the last untouched places on the planet, untouched by humanity. And, uh, you know, you go down there, the penguins and the other species, they're not afraid of us because, you know, this is a, this is the kind of world that I would like to see where other species are not afraid, afraid of us and that they, they can, can live with us and we can live with them. Uh, so, but also there's the incredibly sheer beauty of the place. There's no place really on, on Earth quite like it. The icebergs, the glaciers, the Wasai Shelf, uh, the, the wildness, the uh, majesty. The, you know, it's just incredible down there. Yeah. So, so later on, um, you, you mentioned stress and, and the different stresses that are coming about from, from climate change and, and from, you know, the, the pandemic and other things. How, you know, and Paul, you mentioned that you don't suffer from much stress. How do you, how do you do that? Well, I just don't let it bother me. Uh, one of the uh, things I learned a long time ago is that uh, we can't do anything about the future. So there's no, you know, we can't act in the future. It's, no worth, it's not worth being stressed out or depressed about it. Our power is in the present. Uh, that's where we can make a difference. And that will, of course, contribute to the future. But don't worry about it. Focus everything on the present. And uh, what you do now will define what the what the future will be, and uh, it's sort of you have to have this sort of a little bit of a detachment from everything and look at everything from a strategic point of view, and uh, and and uh, understand that uh, you have to use your abilities, your uh, intelligence, your skills to make this a better place, and that's really all you can do. You know, each and each of us can't change the world, but together using our abilities and skills and our knowledge and our imagination, we can change the world. Yeah. And to all of our listeners, um, if, you know, some, some of these chapters are just amazing. And chapter nine, if you're going through a rough time and you're not sure about life, seek out chapter nine in this book because it will, it will put you in a, in a good headspace and help you move forward. And one of, the, one of my favorite things, Paul, that you say in that chapter is you say 18 million years from now, the earth will be a nice and beautiful place again, and that that brings a smile to your face. Well, one of the things that all major extinction events have had over the last, well, half a billion years, uh, you know, going back to the Permian extinction and uh, 250 million years ago, which wiped out 76% of everything on land and 92% of everything in the ocean. Uh, what do all these extinction events have in common is that they completely... Uh, recover after 18 to 20 million years, which is really a blink in the eye from a geological point of view. So no matter what we do, uh, the planet will continue and life will flourish. So um, it's really not about saving the planet. It's about saving ourselves and all the other species that are on this planet right now with us from our folly. So that's what we have to focus on. Uh, Some people say, well, you know, what are you doing to save the planet? Well, Focus on what are we going to do to save life as it is here now, because the planet's going to do just fine. Right, right. And so, in you know, in the last chapter, you you address the idea of you know what can you do. You mention adopting a plant based diet, um, dismantling war machines, ending dependence on fossil fuels, 
enacting a 100-year moratorium on commercial fishing, uh, helping to increase global biodiversity, stopping logging, planting trees, stop making single-use plastics, which directly goes back to the Coca-Cola Corporation, uh, discourage overpopulation, and to remove corporate and government control of the media. Why is that last one, the removal of corporate and government control, so important? Well, because uh, the media defines uh, how we think, how we view the world. The media literally shapes us and uh, everything we believe in, everything we do. And when you have government and corporate control of the media, then they control our lifestyles. They control what we eat. They control you know, what we consume. They control how we clothe ourselves. And so we have to, uh, you know, that kind of control is really what the problem is. Media is a problem because media is not objective. It's a form of... Uh, mind control really and uh, media can be used to justify pretty much anything that governments or corporations do uh, it's no accident that me all the major media outlets are owned by corporations and if they're not owned by corporations they're owned by governments which are just as bad in fact if not worse than the corporations for really brainwashing the public um paul uh, you know unless there's anything else that, that you'd like to add um i think that's i'll, I'll you know I'll keep it short because i know you got a lot of things going on Okay, well, thank you. I want to thank Paul for his time today. It's always a pleasure speaking with him. If you would like to read Paul's book, uh, the title is Urgent, Save Our Ocean to Survive Climate Change. You can find that book on the website, uh, paulwatsonfoundation.org. There is a, a header at the top, and then you'll see a shop button. If you click on shop, it'll take you to a page where this book is and, and other books that Paul has written. Also, if you would like to sign up for Paul's newsletter, uh, you can do that on the homepage. And if you'd like to donate, you can do that there as well. Please do subscribe uh, to this podcast if you're able to so that you get all the most recent episodes. And this episode is brought to you by Cataceros Debilis. If the oceans die, we die.